What happens when that first ransom note comes in? Your network has been locked. You need to pay 30 million US dollars now. The criminals often know what the cost is to your enterprise when they bring you down more than the actual company does. You know, they're, they're, they really quantify the cost because you're dead in the water. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back. Today I have for you Dan Lorman, who is the field CISO for Presidio, a global digital solutions and service provider delivering software-defined cloud collaboration and security solutions to customers. Now, Dan, back to him, started his career at the National Security Agency, also known as the NSA, and has over 30 years of professional experience, including chief security officer and chief technology officer over for the state of Michigan. He's also an award-winning blogger and global speaker on a wide range of technology and cybersecurity topics, and he's best-selling author, which we'll get into, of Cyber May Day and the Day After, a leader's guide to preparing, managing, and recovering from inevitable business disruption. Dan, welcome to Lead the Team, sir. Ben, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you today. So, sir, so can you tell us the story that transformed uh, about the moment that transformed the direction of your career? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I'll take you back to about 2003, 2004 timeframe. It was actually end of 2003. Um, and I was uh, Chief Information Security Officer, CISO in Michigan government. And I had a new boss uh, who'd been around a little bit, um, Terry Takai, who went on. She was, she was a CIO in Michigan. Uh, went on to become CIO in California under Arnold Schwarzenegger, CIO for uh-huh. U.S. Department of Defense. So she was you know, she became a big wig, uh, very pretty well known around the world. Um, but Terry, you know, we were kind of going through this forming, storming, norming, performing thing that I, everyone's heard so much about, right, Ben? Um, but so we were, uh, I got, was given a task by Terry, uh, and I was a you know, leader of security in Michigan government to mm-hmm. put Wi-Fi in all of our state conference rooms, which seems pretty straightforward, you know, in 2023. You know, everyone says, well, everybody's got Wi-Fi. What's the big about that? Well, that time it was kind of, like, you know, bleeding edge technology, not bleeding edge, but it was new. And mm-hmm. uh, I was, you know, the former NSA guy who was against Wi-Fi. And you probably wonder why I was against Wi-Fi. But, you know, people could go- drive around in, in Michigan at the time. And literally, you know, kind of war driving was the, was the term people were using. War driving. People were hacking into Home Depot and Lowe's and going into parking lots and literally getting access to cash registers and copying credit card mm-hmm. numbers and it was it was you know it was you know i had my reasons why i had done my homework and so uh we get to a staff meeting um and my team by the way had you know, i hope my whole team had helped me put together you know a list of white papers and reasons why this was a bad idea we can't do this project 
because it's gonna we're gonna we're gonna get hacked. And um, so I had my my white papers and my you know reports from three letter agencies: NSA, CIA, DIA, mm-hmm. FBI. This is a bad idea. So anyway, we get into the staff meeting. And my team had helped me put this together. We get to like agenda item four, all around this big government conference room or all the direct reports. And Terry says, okay, Dan, I want you to tell us quickly, five minutes, how are we going to roll this out statewide in all of our government conference rooms and do it securely um, and tell us a high-level plan and, and what, what you need from us? And um, I said, well, Terry, and I handed out these sheets and you know, passed it around the room. There's like 10, 11 of us in the room. I said, um, I'm canceling this project. Um, I think uh, this Uh-oh. is a bad idea. Uh-huh. And here's all the reasons why I think Wi-Fi is is not going to go. I mean, we we I think this is really bad. And so let me explain. And I started, you know, I was talking, and Terry said, "Stop." And you could, you know, cut the air with a knife in the room. And she said, "I want everyone to leave the room, but Dan." So everyone, <laughs> everyone Ooh. jumps up out of this conference wow. room meeting. Right? They run out of the room. I have never seen, Ben, a government conference room empty so fast in my life. I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's just me and Terry. She gets up from the end of the table, walks down to the middle area where I'm sitting, sits across from me. And she says to me, Dan, uh, if that's your answer, you can't be the CISO in Michigan. And I just remember being devastated at that moment and say, well, well, wait a minute. Let me explain to you what she says. No, stop. Just stop. She said, I know you know your stuff. You got your master's degree from Johns Hopkins. You're a smart guy from NSA. Nobody questions your credentials or your, that you're smart. Hmm. Um, nobody questions. I know what this paper say. I've seen the headlines. You know, Home Depot was just hacked by somebody in the parking lot, you know, from Wi-Fi and all that. She said, I've seen all that. I know war driving. I know I, I read all the same things you read. She said, but I've been to Dow, Ford, Chrysler, and GM, and they all have Wi-Fi in their conference rooms. What do they know that you don't know? Mm. I'm giving you one week to find out and uh and 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 to come up with a plan or I want your resignation. Oh. And uh yeah. Wow. <laughs> so so that that's where I was. Um I was shocked, you know, needless to say, you know, up to that point in my career, you know, I was mid-career at that point, kind of mid-career, I guess. I don't know, early mid-career maybe. Um, and I I, you know. I'd never had anything like this happen to me before. It was all awards and, you know, great jobs and great performance appraisals. So, I mean, you know, I, I get back to my office and my team's like, did you tell them we're not going to do Wi-Fi? And they're all like literally like almost meeting me in the parking lot as I'm getting off out of the car. I, I kid you not. I said, no, everyone in the conference room now, my leadership team, I was about that time I was managing a team about 30 people, but I had like eight people got in the conference, told them the whole story, said, we're doing Wi-Fi, <laughs> you know, you're calling Dow, you're calling Ford, you're calling Chrysler, you're calling GM. I mean, long story short, we, you know, we did Wi-Fi. Like I came back, we put together a plan. We learned a lot mm-hmm. from others. Um, we rolled out Wi-Fi. Two years later, Ben, we win the award for top um, Wi-Fi project in the nation for all 50 state governments. Um wow. You know, we made a lot of progress, but but there's a wider story for me why I tell the story. I mean, that's a, the closest I ever got to being fired in the job. But I mean, it really taught me the lesson of hey, you, you got to bring solutions, not problems. And mm-hmm. and it and it's not just about what this, this story really is not just a Wi-Fi story. It's you know, you could so many times in security, I'm in cybersecurity, and so many times the uh, you know, the the message is, you know, the answer is no, what is the question? 
I mean, it's kind mm. of like, it's always like, mm -hmm. you can't do that. It's not secure. So whether it's cloud computing, whether it's artificial intelligence or internet of things, IOT devices, home Christmas presents, you know, they're all insecure, right? So it's like, if you just say no to everything, bring your own device to work, BYOD. If you're always saying mm -hmm. no, then uh, then obviously um, you got a problem. So, I mean, how do you get to yes? How do you do it on time, on budget with the right level of security? How do you do this in a way that is um, really meeting the business need? Because if the business fails, you don't need cybersecurity, right? And so how do you do that from a team perspective? I mean, I think that was a real lesson for me about getting to yes as a cybersecurity leader and being an enabling leader um, positive. Yeah, I'm really glad you shared that story. Thanks. I mean, that's that is that's as personal as it gets. Uh, and you had to take action the moment to re yeah, I guess it like you guys have built a really solid case for this is not a good idea. Uh but it's still moving forward anyway in those moments. And it, I think of customs compliance, I think of you know, CISO, there is a lot of no we're afraid because this does put us at risk. So you're probably always trying to be in and in HR also like we need, we have to move forward. These things are happening, but how do we move forward? So being an enabler versus a roadblock. And that's a great, and I think now some of this interview, obviously international or uh, artificial intelligence is coming really, really hard. Yeah. How, and this is to me, this, it, it feels as whenever you're here, telling me that story about Wi-Fi in, in the conference room, it feels like we're at that moment for a lot of leaders with artificial intelligence. Like it's here. Everyone's got access. What are we, how are we going to think through this? Um, or I'm sure you're probably thinking through that now at Presidio. Yeah. You're seeing this, how taking that lesson from the Wi-Fi of the boardroom and applying it to artificial intelligence. How, how do you see that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what organizations need to do is they need to think about, um, you know, who are your peers and what are they doing well, and you know, who's best in 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 class, you know, and, and look around you. And I mean, when I was at the state of Michigan, I'm no longer there now, but um, you know, we we were not doing you know bleeding edge things, so we were we weren't you know the ones who were doing something that nobody else, you know, I was at Dow, Ford, Chrysler, GM around us, they were private sector, we were public sector, but they were already having success and, and they were doing some things that we hadn't heard about. It also, honestly, I tell you, Ben, they, we were able to get some money to do some things that we I didn't have budget for before. So yeah, we're going to do what you know GM's doing, we're going to do what Dow's doing, but it's going to cost a little bit of money. And I had management buy-in for that. So that was pretty cool. Um, so same thing with AI today. I mean, look around you, look at your peers, look at best in class, you know, benchmark yourself against others, whatever it's being done or any technology, cloud computing, um, you know, Internet of Things, different types of, 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 of devices, whatever new technology, you know, uh, is out there that you're looking at. AI is a good one, but machine learning is another um, augmented reality. I mean, people have different whatever it is that, you know, is is can seem like a roadblock. But look at I just say, look at your peers, look at best in practice. Unless you're really bleeding edge, like research agency, putting somebody on the moon or on Mars or something, maybe at NASA. I mean, most organizations aren't doing that. And so someone else is is um, a good model for you mm. to, to emulate. Really, really cool stuff and great consult for a lot of leaders out there who are constantly facing 
the, the rate of change and, and new technologies coming out and how to approach it. I like the idea of really talking to your peers. Now, I'm always curious when executives write books because executives <laughs> don't have time. Yeah, uh, Maybe you've got it in your head. You've got ideas for it. And I want to get into the book. But before we get into the heart of the book, like why write this book when you're traveling around trying to do uh, cybersecurity for a whole state? <laughs> Where does this come from? Yeah, no. And and so it was interesting that where this came from originally, I was supposed to be in Australia during COVID. Um, I, so we were, I was going to a wedding in Sydney, Australia, another story. And um, I was going to, uh, you know, literally it was uh, for last week of March, first couple of weeks of April in 2020. Of course, we all know what happened. Everyone knows the pandemic stories, right? Where were you when the pandemic hit, right? So they shut down Australia. The whole thing was canceled. Yeah. The wedding. I remember Tom Hanks was filming the Elvis movie in Australia <laughs> and got and COVID stuck there. for everybody here. And he exactly. was all on the news telling him what people were getting COVID was like. Exactly. But I didn't I didn't get to go. So I still have okay. not been to Australia, but it's, it's, it's still on my bucket list. I'm going to get there. I got canceled twice. But anyway, mm -hmm. along the way, I was supposed to speak at an event in Sydney, Australia that got um, initially canceled and then they moved it online. So it's going to be a couple hundred, 300 people there, two, 300 people. It ended up becoming a global event online but because mm -hmm. of. This is the beginning of, you know, the web webinar phase and, you know, yeah, it was anyway, huge at the beginning. Yeah. It, it was. It was like, yeah. went to like seven, eight hundred people on every continent were you know, tuned in for this event. And it was a big event. It went really, really well. And long story short, the person I started working with was a woman by the name of Shemaine Tan, who has won Cyber Woman of the Year in uh, Australia. She's got a lot of awards, really good, but the TED Talks and things. Anyway, um, working with her on this, she said, Dan, let's write a book together. And I'm like, well, what do you want to write a book about? She's my co-author on this. Shemaine is. Mm -hmm. And we both wanted to talk about ransomware, but not just like best practices. Everyone seemed to have checklists and you know, cyber attack, um, you know, do this, don't do that frameworks, the cybersecurity framework. But what we saw missing was true stories, you know, through the eyes of the C-suite executives, you know, whether that mm -hmm. be a CISO or CTO or CIO, mm -hmm. but it could be a CEO or CFO or president of a company. What really happened, you know, through their eyes when they were hit? And so we did wrote the book and, and uh, you know, it, we, we first started this during COVID. So where do we have time? You know, the time was a lot of nights and weekends, I admit, a lot of work. It's actually my third book. So I've written some other books before and I blog a lot. So I do um, I do write a lot, mm -hmm. but I will you're, say so you're that, used um, to generating content on a, on, and I, I, how often would do you write? Is, is your, yeah, is it every I, day or are you? No, I mean, I, I, I blog, my, my blog goes once a week in government technology magazine. So I I'm front page government technology magazine every Sunday, Monday, Monday morning, um, okay. govtech.com. So I, I do a weekly blog mm -hmm. and um, on all, you know, all kinds of technology and government, you know, government technology stories and cybersecurity, mainly it's okay. called Lorman on cybersecurity. So I, I'm used to generating content, used to doing a lot of long blogs, you know, prediction reports. And when did, and so when did you in your, in your career discover, hey, uh, I can do, I can write more than emails. <laughs> I, and you laugh, but I think a lot of executives that I've worked with, I've worked with some and in, in writing their book process. And they're like, Ben, I mean, I've only written emails, literally PowerPoint yeah. slides and emails. And I think there's a, and I'm curious, like when did that mental 
Yeah. Was it, was it when you were a kid or? It's so funny. No, no, no. So it's, it's funny. I laugh because not, it was, I really started blogging regularly in 06. I wrote my first book in 08. But it's another long story for another. You have to bring me back into another interview sometime about what something else that happened to me. I, I got cancer and I I literally, um, the whole story of what happened, I wanted to write about it. My wife's like, she's an English teacher. You know, she's not now, but she was. Well, just go there. Tell us the story. You, can, well, but, I you mean, can't see this up and let us know. Well, I, <laughs> I, I was not a writer. I said, I want to write this story. I really want to write this story of what happened, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, she said, you're not a cancer. writer. Of, of, you're not of, a writer. Having cancer, dealing it, and your journey through that. Correct. Okay. And and also, you know, as a Christian, what that what happened and, and okay. how I got through that. But I mean, I, basically, long story um, short on that, my wife's like, you, you, you can't write. You're a horrible writer. <laughs> you're a computer guy. You're a geek. But you can't write. So I went out and I took a class and um, huh. you know, I, I, I literally got a mentor and um, went through uh, what's called the Christian Writers Guild, went through three years of um, of training and um, did a lot of writing and, and learning how to write. But they, the my mentor said, you know, Dan, don't write about that story. This, this you know, with all due respect, there's hundreds of cancer stories out there. Write about what you know about. You know, you know about technology. You know about the internet. You know about cybersecurity. Write about the intersection of, you know, that first book was the intersection of faith and cybersecurity, which is a whole other topic, virtual integrity. And I wrote in 08. But that, for me, it was like- That sounds interesting. It was it was actually what what happened to me um, in my personal life and how it applied to my job and and so that was my first book. For, that's, in that's a cool topic. I think a lot of people can relate to that. A lot of times we keep work separate from spirituality or faith and the yep. personal struggles we go to or, or have and keep them separate. And there's yep. like a synergy, I believe. When you allow those worlds to come together, yeah, it sounds like uh, you did in that moment. And that's what I wrote: you know, "Virtual Integrity, Faithfully Navigating the Brave New Web," which is the name of that book. That came out in '08, um, and it was published by Baker Publishing House. But uh, that was my first book. But it was it was a it was a desire. It was it was a learning experience. It, it did take very intentional change in direction in my time and and use how, of resources how old were you at the time when you uh when you wrote the book Gert, virtual integrity um so oh wait uh-huh. um basically i was um in my early 40s cool. um so i mean yeah you learned in your I 40s mean, to basically write in, in a completely different like like different style and, and you were not blogging either at that I point. was not blogging yet. No, wow. I just started blogging That's about the impressive. same time. About the same time I wrote the book. So I've been blogging regularly now for almost fifteen years. Fifteen years, really, since '06, end of '06, beginning of '07. Um, and the book came out in '08, but it was about the same time I wrote the book. The same time I started blogging. Yeah, I, I, the message to leaders there, I think. I mean, it, it's possible for you to write a book, even your executive, even when you've got a lot of stuff going on personally, if you're willing to step into that arena, I, I grew up with a story of, I couldn't write also. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you thought you could write. You just hadn't done it yet until your wife's like, Dan, this is not, you're going to have to get some training. <laughs> I had a hangup. Like I was like, this is not for me. And I started blogging under a secret identity called executive X 
because I was afraid of the the shame. I afraid I was going to get fired for some of the stuff I was writing, even though it wasn't too too bad on corporate. Uh, but it wasn't until I started writing under my own name that I think I really kind of stepped into a different mindset. But it took it took me a while to. It wasn't learning how to write; it was believing I could do it. And that mental mind that that mental shift for me was a was a big challenge. So yeah, I mean, it, it was a big change. I mean, it, I I had a lot to learn. You know, I I. I, uh, you know, there's so many things, again, another whole topic, you know, about leading with your best stuff right out of the gate, you know, spit it out. It, it does affect the way you speak and the way, the way you, you know, uh, relate to people. Um, I had a lot to learn. And, and, and but, you know, but back to Cyber May Day, which is the book that came out, you know, more recently, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it was just really, um, it was a, it was a topic that I was passionate about and that ransomware mm-hmm. has just become so prevalent all over the world and growing, you know, really exponentially. And the attacks, this was before Colonial Pipeline hit, before JBS meets and solar winds. And we started writing this and uh, we had three publishers that wanted to publish it. We ended up publishing with Wiley, mm-hmm. um, did really well. Um, actually, the best that. Sell- That's a big one. Yep. It was bestseller on Amazon for about four weeks last year. Um you know, not long, but <laughs> it did well for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm going to tell you some stories about it, but I mean, basically it's, it's, it's the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, kind of what happens before, during and after a major incident. Yeah, so maybe, so, so maybe recap for us, man, I bet you've got some juicy ones in there. Uh, <laughs> what's one of the more memorable ones you think that, that would maybe surprise leaders to hear? Well, I think what surprised people, and if you don't mind, I'm going to, if you stick with me, I just maybe just read a, a short section. If, if if I could give give it a minute or two and just talk about, um, you know, what happens when that first ransom note comes in, if you will. So let me just read part of this, and I'll maybe paraphrase part of it too. But this is from Chapter Five. Where were you when the sirens went off? And it begins. Your network has been locked. You need to pay thirty million U.S. dollars now. The following was an actual real life negotiation between a ransomware gang and a $15 billion U.S. victim company that was hit with a $28.75 million ransom demand in January 2021. Hmm. Um, After a few rounds, the victim company counted with a $2.25 million offer, which was met with a scornful response by the ransomware criminals. And this was the wording of what they said back. And it's very funny to watch a few of your admins trying to install MS Exchange server in three days, and you can't do it. We have encrypted 5,000 of your 6,000 servers. If we do some very simple calculations, your expenditure is like, let's say, $50 an hour, maybe $60 an hour. Um, So 24 hours spent to restore one server, multiplied by the number of servers encrypted by us, that's like $10 million on labor expenditure alone. And it's interesting, little side Hmm. note, Ben, it's interesting to note how the criminals often know what the cost is to your enterprise when they bring you down more than the actual company does. You know, they're, they're, they really quantify the cost because you're dead in the water. They continue. Don't forget, you spend all your time on installation and oops, you can't even restore any data because it's gone for the next thousand years. So they mm-hmm. went back and forth. They negotiated. A day later, the company finally managed to get authority to pay $4.75 million. Extortionists agreed to lower their demand to $12 million in the condition the remaining amount be paid within 72 hours. Um, finally, they, they they agree after a few additional messages, they came to an agreement where the criminals promised the following things. The hackers would not launch any new attacks. The company would get the tool to fully decrypt the encrypted data. The hackers would completely leave their network and never target them again, if you believe them, right? 
The mm-hmm. hackers would give the company access to the data to delete it themselves. Data would never be published or resold. And then I love this one the most. The hackers would provide a full report on all their actions, how they got into the network, how the attack was carried out, tips on how to improve the security program, <laughs> and, <laughs> and protect against other hackers like themselves. The company ultimately paid an $11 million ransom. That's very paraphrased. but So they um, went from $21 million to 11 28.75 28.75 down to 11 wow well hearing that and plus you have to live as the leader with knowing that you're paying this you're getting your data but they could come back in 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 a heartbeat and all your they still got your data even though they're saying they're deleting it i mean what do you what's when somebody gets that what's the first step they should do other than freak out well, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, and that's what the book's all about. You read the book, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm saying give you an answer. I mean, it really depends. Hopefully, you have a plan in place. You know, you know who to call. I mean, and and yeah. hopefully, one of the things, one of the tips right out of the gate, little tip. You know, make sure your plan isn't stuck on your networks because there's so many organizations I've seen. First thing they do is encrypt the plan. So you know, all the all the phone calls, all the phone numbers, everything you're going to do, who you're going to contact. I, there's organizations that had their plan encrypted when the, when their network was encrypted. So make sure you've got your, your your plan available in another, you know, how you correspond, you know, how you communicate with your staff. Um, so, you know, you need, to, you need to bring in a wide variety of people involved. I mean, you need to, you know, basically activate your plan. So you've got your technical people worrying about the technical aspects, but you've got your lawyers involved. You've got, your, you know, your public information officers, your communication team. You've got uh, working with finance. Um, are you going to pay or are you not going to pay? Hopefully you've got good backups and mm-hmm. you can recover quickly. But I'll tell you, Ben, a lot of organizations have good backups, but they've never tested them. So they're not really, you know, they really, they think they're good and they theoretically have done things, but they've never actually faced that moment. So, you know, really activating your plan and having a plan in place and thinking through this and practicing that plan are all things that we cover in the book. How do you do that? Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So what's your advice for leaders who are running like a 100-person company? So they don't yeah. have all these executive positions and they, you know, they've, they have very limited resources to focus on this. What's your sure. advice for them? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, you, you need to really think about, I'll give you three quick tips. I would say, you know, think about cyber insurance, cyber insurance. Um, the prices have like gone way up. Unfortunately, they've shot up They've like double the price for half the coverage recently in the last few years. But but when you think about cyber insurance, they're going to give you a checklist of things. And you say, well, they won't even give me the policy because I won't qualify. I have to be doing all these things like awareness training and encrypting, you know, all these different steps you need to follow. Well, guess what? You need to be doing those things anyway. Right. So they'll, you know, having a good assessment of um, where you're at, probably before the cyber policy, but, you know, getting that policy, having an assessment of the good, the bad and the ugly, where do you need to improve? Having a good cyber uh, policy, um, you may need to consider, Ben, you know, whether or not you even want to be in the IT business. Do you want to use a managed service provider like Presidio? 
um, or others, you know, that can provide a really good service and can really make sure that those pieces are in place and help you think through, you know, and practice what would you do if you were hit by a ransomware attack or another type of cyber attack. So managed service providers, an MSP um, or managed um, cybersecurity mm-hmm, service mm-hmm. is something you should think about. Just the stress of that is enough to take a company down. Regardless, I, I got even though, yes, your data is out there. That's scary, your customer information, but the stress on the leaders in the team. What I mean, what what kind of freakouts have you seen in this world from uh from leaders and companies? Like what's a I'm thinking like knee-jerk reactions that are not the right way to go. Well, it's 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 just some pretty scary stories I've seen. You know, I, I literally once do I won't go into too many details because I'll give away some stuff, but I a lot of this is confidential. Um, but you know hackers who've been in people's networks for weeks and months. And I, in one case, the, the bad actors literally called up the CEO of the company. They had a cell phone number, of course. And they said, in five minutes, your world is going to change. And, um, you know, we're, we're hitting the button. I'm giving you five minute warning. There's nothing you can do. Oh. You can't pay me anything because I'm, I'm you know, there's nothing, you know, th- you know, boom, hit the button. And they, you know, not only had they hit everything on their active networks, all their backups were encrypted. Everything was in the cloud, but they they had access to everything because they had been living in there for months and they had wow. tracked everything. They knew everything. I, I, I let's just say that this, this, this CEO um, had major mental health issues. Um, thank God they didn't commit suicide or anything, but <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, I, I don't know anybody who has done that, but you know, it 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 is it is very scary, and and yes. and having the right plan, having the right strategy, thinking through this in advance, and we know we need to do it anyway for fires, floods, tornadoes, natural disasters. You know, people prepare for all kinds of risks for the recession, for a recession, for economic downturns. Cybersecurity is is a, is a risk. Mm. Um, issue it's not just a technology issue it's a company risk issue and and you know how do you how do you go about that process of of uh of attacking risk you know think about that so so good and chilling to be the ceo and to get that call um and no just it, it it's it's terrorism because <laughs> you just don't know yeah uh, until it happens so sort of boiling this down to the individual, say individuals that have Gmail, that use online banking, sure. um, you know, what they're probably thinking, oh my Lord, this book's going to scare the crap out of the company. But what about for the individual? <laughs> what do you have? Uh, what's your advice for, for, for the individual, you know, business sure. leader? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, first of all, I would, I would say, make sure your data is backed up, you know, at a very basic level. And good backups. I mean, you, it's not. It doesn't have to be hard on a small business owner. If you're like, you know, five person company, or you're, maybe you just think about your own own home personal laptop. You know, when was the last time you really, you know, did a really good backup of that data? So get a USB drive. They're on sale at Staples or somewhere on, you know, five bucks. You can get a decent, you know, couple, you know, gigabyte, you know, hundred gigabyte drive for five bucks or less. You know, maybe five hundred gig now. And and back up your hard drive, back up your um, 
especially your data. Make sure you got good backups and you can restore that. And that's at a very basic level, obviously, if your laptop, but small business, make sure mm-hmm. you got good mm-hmm. backups and you test those backups. Um, you know, I think most people know this, but on a personal level for your Gmail, you know, make sure for your online apps, for most of us do this for banking, it's required now, but multi-factor authentication, MFA, mm-hmm. you know, not just a password and a username, but um, making sure that you have multi-factor enabled, mm-hmm. you know, it means like sending, getting a text to your correct. phone number in addition to the email, because it makes it harder for the. Correct. For, for exactly. The right. So, so for example, if you, you know, I can have a great long password. People talk about past phrases and special characters and, you know, 20, 20 letter passwords. I can have a really good, and I certainly advise people don't reuse passwords well, everyone probably does, but you know, um, yeah, you know, basically, it, people are out there. Yeah, they're doing it. But yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about having really good complex passwords. But at the end of the day, if, if the database gets hacked, they're going to have your password. So I mean, it could be a database from your bank or from an organization mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. work with. They use that that username and password, and then they use that to get into your into your networks or into your into your systems. Um, if you use multi-factor, it's not perfect. Some of the people out there will probably know there's ways you can defeat that, but it's a lot more expensive and a lot harder. Two-factor right. authentication, even if somebody in Russia got my username and password from some database and they tried to log into my email, guess what? It's going to prompt me on my phone and it's going to say, Dan, is this you? And then it's going to give me the code number. because, And you can make it work so that only when you're on a new new device does that come up. If it's the mm-hmm. same device, if it's your laptop, you know, it's not going to prompt you with a multi-factor. I mean, we should be doing that for all of our banking, all of our insurance, all of our financial transactions. But more and more and more, our data is in our emails, like you mentioned. It's in our documents. Mm-hmm. You should be using MFA pretty much for everything now. Got it. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And I remember when that came out years ago and I was working in a, in a corporate environment. And I was like, man, this is terrible. This is a productivity killer and all this <laughs> other stuff. And then come to find out, like everybody's doing that because it's so much more effective than um, using your last name <laughs> for your password or something like that. There you go. You know, well, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> yeah, the most com- that's the most common one, right? So yeah, it's yeah. like, please, please, Lord, do this. No, so much wisdom uh, in that. And so, you know, thinking about, your interesting background here. What are you, and, and, and you've written this book, and I think this is, this is a great resource for leaders to go check out. Where do you see, let's go looking in the crystal ball, where do you see cybersecurity, ransomware, say uh, five years from now? Yeah, I mean, sadly, at the moment, Ben, I would have to say it's going to continue to grow and be more and more important. I mean, it was interesting. You go back like 10 years ago, and I I still keep some of these articles because I, you know, I was blogging Mm -hmm. back then, too. In 2010, I remember reading an article in a major magazine. I won't name it, but well, they said, you know, by 2020, they're making predictions by 2020. Cybersecurity will be built in everything you do. There won't be any people who are dedicated cyber experts, or we won't have, we won't have, you know, there won't have a need for, you know, it'll just be part of the way we do everything. Well, guess what? You know, I didn't buy it then, and I'm not buying it now. You know, as as technology is so, um, and um, you know, part of so much a part of every one of our lives. It's it's really a part of everything we do. 
um, you know, social media and online life, just, you know, everyone's got smartphones and they're using it for every aspect. You mentioned artificial intelligence earlier, more and more and more that personal assistant knows about everything more and more. We're using these to even open car doors and start cars and, you know, all kinds of yes. things. So yeah. it's becoming so important. It's becoming uh, a part of every area of life. Um, it, for most of us, it already is. And as we see that, the, the role of cybersecurity will continue to grow because the bad actors are um, constantly, you know, looking for new ways. It's a moving target to get into our network. So you, just because you were successful yesterday or last month or last year doesn't mean you're going to be successful tomorrow. There's going to be new attacks um, and, you know, it, it's a moving target. Um, so, you know, I, right now, I think the bad actors are ahead of the good actors. And it, it's sad. Um, so I think cybersecurity continues to be certainly for the rest of my life. I'm in my late fifties. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be around for the rest of my life and it's going to be important. Great. Great. Thank you for sharing Greg. sort of looking into the future on that. So who, so here's kind of a fun question thinking about where, are the cybersecurity experts like who is bleeding edge in the industry? So, is it U.S. government or another government? Is it uh, the banking industry, which leads in some ways? Is it other private industries like uh, uh, computer organizations like like your Apple and uh, Microsoft? If you had to sort of look at which industries have the bleeding edge. Cybersecurity insight now. Uh, where do you think it's coming from? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I mean, I certainly think there are a lot of really amazing resources that are, you know, say bleeding edge. You know, in the three letter agencies, I, I, I certainly on the on the on the on the defense side, right, on the good guy side. Um, you know, I I do think that you know I came from the intelligence community. Um, the challenge we have, and I'll take you know, on the attack side, on the on the you know um, you got red team, blue team, you got the, the attack and defend. Um, you know, the, the problem is is that the, the proliferation. I couldn't think of that word earlier, but the proliferation of this is all over the world. So you got more and more countries, whether it be China, Russia, mm -hmm. Iran, North Korea, you know, um, and they and people ask, is it is it the nation states that are attacking us, or is it you okay. know, organized criminal groups. Um, and the answer is yes, all of the above. And 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 the distinction, the distinction is like with many of these people, is it, you know, is it the military organization or is it, you know, like we're in different, different color hats at night? You know, they the same people, and there's lots of really great stories from, you know, uh London Times and and Financial Times and others of, of researchers and people who've done investigative reporting that say a lot of these people are the same people. They're, they're doing multiple jobs. They're doing, they're doing it for their government by day and at night they're hackers. Um, so, I mean, I think that there are certainly um, challenges that we face from nation states around the world mm -hmm. that are now actually going after companies, um, especially if they can get your intellectual property, if they can steal the diagrams from, you know, the latest, um, tractor or the latest car design. I mean, it's, it's huge stakes, right? And, and mm -hmm. for that intellectual property. Um, but I also think that that uh, there are organized criminals in you know more and more. Um, it's it, it's uh, from 
different countries around the world that don't necessarily have a problem with it. And they're able to do their their bidding without uh, really being facing law enforcement. So mm-hmm. there's a variety of con- countries where that's the case. And, and, you know, we're getting attacked from there as well. Thanks, Dan. So starting to bring this interview to a close, man, it's been really interesting today. What, what's your parting thought for listeners? Well, I mean, I, it, it sounds so negative and so pessimistic as we talked, Ben. So I just, I, I have to say, I have to be a positive. I mean, I, I am excited about, you know, in, in the, in the midst of as we head in the 23, you know, this new year and everyone's talking about a recession and the economy's down and maybe your stock portfolio is not where it was a year ago. Um, I still am optimistic. I, I still, I still, you know, believe that you know if you do the right things in cybersecurity, if if you um, take the right steps, um, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to be the best in the world. Um, I, I hate the cliche, but it, it's somewhat true. If you're better, you know, if you have good security in your house, if you just need to be better than your neighbor, right? <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, really, that's a little bit negative as well. Well, yeah. Well, I think it's a great thing. I mean, they're going to go, it makes sense. Like you don't have to have a complete fortress of security, but if yours is better comparably, then they're, you know, the, the attackers are going to go to the easier ones first, you would think. (laughs) Absolutely. And I, I, I just think, I think as an industry, you know, you can make a big difference. I worked for a security awareness training company for many years. You can make a big difference by having good cyber etiquette. You can reduce the likelihood of attack tremendously, having good backups, having a plan, working together with your with your with your partners. But then on, on an individual basis, one thing I've tried to do as a leader my whole career is always, and we all have heard this a hundred times, you know, the Wayne Gretzky thing, you know, skate to where the puck is going to be. And but I do believe that, you know, look in whatever field I get asked all the time by young people, you know, um, you know, cybersecurity cuts across all those industries. We talk about artificial intelligence. You know, we talk about all these different things. Space is huge mm-hmm. right now. There's mm-hmm. cybersecurity for space, you know, putting somebody on the moon or Mars or all these different, you know, um, you know, space companies. Um, whatever area that's of interest to you, cybersecurity um is is involved in that. And 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 we need more people. So don't think of it just as being a geeky tech thing. We need leaders in the cyber field across the industry, and and there's going to be a lot of opportunities to help there in the coming decade. All right, thanks, Dan. You talked about the threats and the opportunities. So, <laughs> and thanks for some great, great tales to keep us on our toes. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.